Today I want to talk about your potential. And uh, I think that when we look at our lives, we often miss just how much potential we have. And we don't realize that God has gifted each and every one of us with so much potential. You know, I, I look at this church and I think we are, to be honest, I'm going to be perfectly candid with you this morning, I think we're living way below our potential. Anybody bear witness with that? Just a few people? I think we're way below our potential. I look around, I see so many gifted people and so much potential in the room. And I just say, Lord, there, there's just so much more that you want to do through your people. And, uh, and he wants to maximize your potential. And so one of the reasons we started talking about gifts this fall and everything is because we want to help you maximize your potential. So let me just put up on the screen here, we're going to say it together, this is our our verse for this whole series. Let's read it together. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 1 Peter 4.10, amen. What a powerful passage that is, and I want you to just commit it to memory, underline it in your Bible, but it reminds us of that uh, three things, that uh, everyone has a gift, uh, that they're to be used to minister to one another, and that it's yours by grace. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to, to deserve it. God just looked at you and said, I'm going to put it in you. And he uh, literally deposited this gift in you. And these gifts are different from the other gifts in Scripture because these are the ones that are stamped into your person. These are written into your DNA. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning as well. What are those gifts, right? The, the perceiver, right? Or the, the prophet, prophecy. Uh, the server, the teacher, the exhorter, the giver, the administrator, and the compassionate person. How many compassionate people we got in here? Wow, we're in trouble. We only got one. Oh, two. Okay. I'm going to help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. We need, we need an upgrade, Jesus. We need an upgrade. <laughs> oh, oh, how many... <laughs> How many, let me, can I just do that again? How many compassionate people do we have in the room? All right, that's better. I feel so much better now. All right, that's good. That's good. Well, everybody say this with me. Lord, Lord raise my level raise my of, compassion. of compassion. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> oh, Jesus. How many have been to Israel before? Raise your hand if you've been to Israel. All right, we got a few here. All right, put them up nice and high. Let me see. All right, so uh, when you're in Israel, did you visit the Dead Sea? Yeah. Dead Sea's pretty cool. It's dead. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's pretty cool because for, for fat boys like me, you can float, right? Uh, so you can, get, you can get all mudded up in the, in the sea salts, you know, and the, take a little mud bath, and you can walk out into the, to the lake and wash it off and stuff. But you, it is so much salt and so much sulfur and chemical in the water that you can lay on your back and read a newspaper and float. Am I making this up? It's true. You could bring your newspaper with you. You could just lay there, and you could lay, and you would just lay right on top of the water. It, it's quite an amazing experience. So, you know, uh, I remember going there, and they, they have little things you can take with you and lay out on there and read morning news or whatever. So I grabbed one of those, and I was laying down, and I was just floating along, and I felt like a beluga just kind of sitting there on the water, and my white belly just shining in the sun, you know. But uh, I got to read the paper while I was lying in the water. It's a very cool sensation, all right? 
But the Dead Sea is one of two seas that there is in Israel. The other one's the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is very different. The Sea of Galilee is filled with what they call St. Peter's fish. It's basically like a tilapia. Uh, it is, it's an, you know, there's all kinds of boats out in the water fishing. It's gorgeous. There's lots of, uh, you know, towns and stuff around it, houses built on the waterfront. And we, we did a tour across the lake and we did, you know, uh, we had seafood right by the, uh, the edge of the, the lake. It was fantastic. And they call it a sea, but it's a freshwater lake. All right. Now, I bring up those two seas uh, that we have in Israel for a great reason this morning. And uh, they're very different. One's teeming with life, and the other one is essentially dead, right? And the interesting thing about these two seas is that the Sea of Galilee has, has many different streams and stuff flowing into it, but then the water also flows out of it, right? And uh, when you have a body of water in which water's flowing in and something's flowing out, right? That water stays fresh. But the Dead Sea receives water but gives nothing out. The Dead Sea is a, is a, is a, is a final destination reservoir. And as the water flows down into it, the only way water ever escapes is because it's so dry and so hot around us through evaporation. And as the more water evaporates out, the higher the, the concentration of salt and stuff in the water becomes. And so what happens, you've got this continuous process going on, and you've got this river in which, I mean, this lake in which all this water's flowing in, but nothing ever goes out, and it becomes stagnant and dead. And I think these two bodies of water in the nation of Israel are an incredible picture for every one of us here this morning. That our, our human experience is exactly the same as these two bodies of water. That if you as a person have, have lots of life flowing in, and you've also got it flowing out, then you are a healthy, healthy person. But if you've got stuff coming in and you never put anything out, you will stagnate and you'll become a body of death. You understand what I'm saying? And, and it's so important for us to realize the, the, the essential nature of giving out. That when something comes in, we need to give it out. And God has gifted each and every one of us so that whatever comes in, we're able to give away. We are able to minister to other people. We're able to give it out. But when we don't give it out, when we hold it all in, when, when we receive and receive and receive and we don't give, and we don't give, we become stagnant. We become something that isn't very attractive. You know, we become, we become somebody who's whose uh, spirit becomes all about themselves and not about other people. Am I making any sense here today? And, and I think that one of the reasons God created these two unique bodies of water in, in the very centerpiece of, the, of biblical Christian faith is to give us a beautiful picture of what he wants from us. He wants us to be like the Sea of Galilee. He doesn't want us to be like the Dead Sea. As much fun as it was to float on my back and read a newspaper, nothing lives in the Dead Sea. There's no fish. There's no, there's no even, there isn't even any little, little, you know, water spiders on the surface or anything. It, there's nothing in it except chemicals, right? But if you go to the Sea of Galilee, it's teeming with life. It's teeming with life. And I believe that God has put the gifts in us and they're designed to overflow out of the essence of who we are 
to the people around us. And if we don't allow this work of God that's in us and these gifts that God's put in us to flow over to those around about us, eventually we stagnate and we become something not very attractive and very useful to our God. Amen. I've talked a little bit about this already, but the other thing I want to talk about this morning is the fact that the, the gifts, not only do they have to keep operating and, and so that life can flow in and flow out, but they're also, uh, they're about our DNA. They're about who I am. The, you know, Scripture says in Psalm 139, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. In other words, before you'd even lived a single day, God's purposes and plans and stuff, he had laid out things for your life and for your uh, heart to be able to accomplish here on earth. And that, that passage, is, I th- I'm sure everybody's heard it before, it's one of the famous passages for helping us understand the nature of how we're created in the image of God, how wonderfully and beautifully created each and every one of us is. When the psalmist wrote this psalm, though, you realize he had no understanding of DNA. Never heard of it before. Didn't know anything about, you know, uh, cells and, and, you know, information that's contained in those cells and all that kind of stuff. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, he knew where babies came from. It's not like he was, you know, some kind of a Neanderthal walking around who had no idea. I mean, he knew where babies come from. He knew that, you know, when you have, uh, you know, a man and you have a woman and they, they come together, that, uh, that the egg is fertilized. They, they knew that, that the child that was born was a byproduct of elements of the mother and elements of the father. They could, they could look at the child and go, yeah, it looks just like mama or it just looks like just daddy, right? You know, they knew that. And that's why when it looked like the mailman, they had problems with it. You know, they, they knew how this stuff worked, right? That's a joke, everybody. Come on. Uh, and so they understood that, but they didn't understand the complexities of it as we understand it today. We understand today that when that, that egg is fertilized, did you know that they've actually filmed the conception uh, and they, uh, in a test tube and stuff, and when they do it, there's actually a, a, a light that goes off? And that when that happens, they know that, the, that these two now become one and that this, this one life, this, this cell that is born and immediately begins to multiply and multiply and multiply just like a, at a rapid pace. They know that the information contained in those very first cells is a, is a combination of half of the information from one and half from the other. And that that information is contained in every cell. It's a string of information that, that is over six feet long in a cell. And that, that those keep multiplying and multiplying, and they, they, they tell the story of who the person's going to be. They tell about, you know, when I was conceived, but my receding hairline was already there. You know, my bulbous nose, my incredibly fat little eyes, 
my incredible muscular frame. You know, all of these things were just written right in there, right from the beginning, right in my mother's womb. Even when I was just a little gapper and I was born, all of these things about me were written. That is the power of the genetic information that's contained in who we are. And we know that now, and we're even, we're even working on, and it's kind of a scary science, the whole science of manipulating genetic material, but they're, they're playing around with that all the time. And that's why they're having to come up with all kinds of laws and ethics, and how do we, how do we deal with this? Because it's, a, it's an extremely, extremely new uh, element of science that we have the ability to explore, and we also have the ability to exploit, right? And there's a lot of concern around that, a lot of concern. But every detail of our physical form is established at conception. And that's a, an amazing thing to understand. So your, the hair color, height, frame, eye color, shape of your face, length of your nose, all that kind of stuff. Even the fact that, you know, Mark in his 40s was going to be, you know, losing a little bit of hair. It's all there, Mark. You have to talk to Jesus about it. Like, that's just the way. See, Mark's one of those guys just smiles and says, it's all right, I'll just cooperate with it. Get the razor out. And it's all right. It's all good. It's all good. You know, as most bald guys say, you know, God only made a few perfect heads, the rest of them he covered with hair. Right? So that's the way it works. But, um, you know, the reality is all of this information about us. Now, the survey that we're going to be doing is taken from a book written by uh, Dan and Katie Fortune. It's a fantastic book. And uh, i got a couple quotes from that book that I want to put up here that they, they say so well what I'm talking about today. And they challenge us from that information of our DNA. They say, if God is so precisely planned for the development of your physical body through DNA, right, which eventually is subject to degeneration and death, then how much more has he planned for your giftedness, your spiritual DNA, right? If God has put that much interest into the body, which has... You know, the, the prophet said, is here today and is gone tomorrow, right? Man, how much thought did he put into how he wired you and how, what your spiritual DNA is like? They go on to say this. We believe that our motivational gifts are given to us at conception and that just as our DNA eventually brings forth our physical characteristics, so our motivational gifts bring forth the interests, abilities, enthusiasms, and perspectives that make us think feel and act the way that we do. I want you to think about that for a minute. I mean, we, we read the psalmist in Psalm 139, and we read, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. And you can be honest, the first thing that pops in your mind is, is your physical appearance. But I want you to understand that I think the psalmist is talking about so much more. He's talking about uh, how you're wired, how you're gifted, your, your skills, your abilities, all of those things that he, he wove into the very fabric of your being. And that's why when you figure out all those things and about who you are, why you're, you're happy doing one kind of job and not doing another. Why work can be fulfilling if you're working in your, in, in, in where you're interested and you're gifted. And why work can be so frustrating if you're not. Because it's, a, it's about how you're wired. And that's why you can look at somebody who's enjoying a job that you look at and say, I absolutely could not do that for all the tea in China. There's just no way. There is no way I am doing that job. Right? One of those jobs that I have absolutely no interest in doing is being a school teacher for elementary kids. They intimidate me. 
A couple times I've went to the Christian school and done a chapel with the kids. I'm scared out of my wits. I'm like, Sherry, you got to help me. You got to help me. I got to plan this. I, gotta, I need help. And I'm panicking and I'm, I'm just filled with, with anxiety. And I said, I need help with this. I don't know what to do. You know, like it's, but once they reach puberty, then, you know, I, I'm, I relax. It's, you know, it's like all of a sudden I can have a conversation with them. And it isn't about unicorns and whatever, you know. It, 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 it's fine. You know, I'm good then. I'm good then. And I'm fine. And everybody, I remember when, when we were parents, people said, are you nervous about your kids becoming teenagers? I was like, no, can't wait. Bring it on. Can't wait. I remember what I was like as a teenager. I don't remember what I did as a kid. So, you know, the kid thing, have a hard time relating to. But the teenager thing, yeah, no problem. No problem. Now, some of you go, uh, uh, you're crazy. Give me the kids any day. And that's, see how God made us all different. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? Same thing with working with our hands. Some people don't want to do it. Some people would rather, you know, work at a desk and deal with information. Some people like working with people. Some people said, say, I can't stand working with people. I'd rather deal with stuff, things, logistics, whatever. We're all wired differently is the point. And God, put that, that Psalm 139 is as much about how we're wired as it is about what we look like. All right? And that's what they're trying to help us to understand uh, in, in, in this book and the survey that we're going to be doing. All right, let me carry on here this morning. Now, one of the things I, I found fascinating as I've been reading through their book that reinforced their understanding of spiritual uh, DNA or uh, soul DNA, if you will, is all of the research that they've done over the years and all the tests that they've done, and when they've done those tests with identical twins. You know, they, ha they have story after story where they've, they've done a test in one town with a, a twin, and, who has, and, they, and their twin is in another town where they're visiting six months later, and they go and they do the, uh, the same uh, gift survey and stuff there, and, and purposely the two twins did not communicate with each other because they wanted to see what the results were, and they were absolutely identical. They, they came out with the same gifting. Uh, they marked off so many of the exact same answers to the exact same things. And you could say, well, a lot of that might have to do with environment. But environment for brothers and sisters, it doesn't work out that way. They're vastly different. But the twins were amazingly, like, almost like carbon copies because they share, just like they share physical DNA because the, uh, the egg split, right, and became two beings, they share spiritual or, or soul DNA. And remarkable stuff that they found. And the, uh, they, they, they um, talk about an article that was in 1980, January 1980, Reader's Digest. Any Reader's Digest readers here? Nobody? It still exists. You can still read it. It's there. Um, but anyway, this article said this. Identical twin boys born in Ohio some 40 years ago were adopted by different families short after birth. This is really kind of freaky, so listen to this. After 39 years apart, they were reunited. And it was discovered that each had been named James. Isn't that interesting? That each had had law enforcement training. That's what they went into. They studied law enforcement. That each liked mechanical drawing and carpentry. Now, they have not seen each other, known each other, existed for 39 years, right? Each married a woman named Linda. Each had a son 
one named James Allen with one L and one named James Allen with two L's. I, I'm not making this up. <clears throat> that they both ended up divorced and remarried. And both had a second wife named Betty. I'm telling you, I'm, just, I'm just, just quoting the story, and the Reader's Digest would not lie. They, they, you know, they would not. And here's the final one, and they both had dogs named Toy. And they also both favored going to the same St. Petersburg, Florida vacation beach for holidays, even though they were raised in different parts of the United States of America. Now you're saying, that's just hard to believe. You're right, it is. But it, it reinforces everything that the research has talked about, about how incredibly uh, similar their wiring of these two people are. These two boys raised apart from each other, different homes, and had no opportunity for family or friends to influence their identical choices or hobbies or recreation. Clearly, there's something going on here. And it behooves us to know what's going on in our soul, in, our, in our, how we're created as a being and not just our physical DNA. Somebody say Amen. So God designed us with a body which is made of material, DNA, but God also made us with a soul which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. Or some people call it your spiritual DNA or your soul DNA. Uh, and th this makes us a unique individual with different thought processes and different ways of looking at things. And You know, I remember uh, one time I was trying to hang doors in my basement by myself. And uh, I'd always... I always bought pre-hung doors before, but then I got these glass doors, and I wanted to put them up. And, uh, and they didn't come with a frame, right? You know, when you go and you buy a pre-framed door, and you just stick the frame in, bang, 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 and it swings and does all that magic stuff? Who'd have thought it was so complicated to actually hang a door without any of that stuff when you got to build the jams and everything else? So I was working at it, working at it, and I was getting frustrated. So I thought, who do I know that's done this kind of thing? Who's got the time to come over and help me do it? So I called Jim. And I, Jim used to be a cabinet maker and a carpenter, and so I thought, this guy's going to be able to, if anybody knows how to hang a door, it's going to be Jim. So I came over, and, and Jim didn't say, yeah, that looks bad. And he didn't uh, do anything like that. But you know what he did? He said to me, he said, well, show me, show me how you're going about it. So I showed him what I was doing. He goes, well, here's what he said. He was so gentle, and he was so kind. He said, that's one way you could do it, I suppose. <laughs> but then he said, let me, let me show you how I would do it. And I said, okay, that's, that's what I want, yeah. So he showed me how he would do it, and I went, wow. But he had a gift, and he was taking the time to show his, and use his gift to show me. And the gift wasn't that he knew how to hung the, hang a door. The gift was that he knew how to communicate to somebody how to hang a door. He knew how, how to be compassionate. He knew how to be a teacher. He had these things woven into his DNA. It wasn't really about the door. It was about how he taught me. To hang the door. And so I watched what he did, and, and he said, you need help with the others? I said, no. I said, I think, I think I can take it from here. And I hung all the rest of them myself. But I had somebody who took the time to say, well, here's how I would do it. And they didn't make me feel stupid for the way I was doing it, even though it wasn't a very good way to do it, you know? Uh, none of that kind of thing. Instead, he was able to show me, and I was able to go, yeah, that makes sense. That's exactly how I should do it. And I was able to learn and put it into practice. See, that's when we're operating our gift, that's the kind of result we get. We're able to help people 
to actually maybe do something or be able to achieve something or to be something they weren't able to be or do or achieve before they had their encounter with us. That's what happens when we're functioning in our gift. Amen? And when we're walking in that giftedness, we are powerful in the body of Christ. We're powerful. We are, we are shaping lives when we're walking in this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I was able to, to do something I'd never been able to do before because I had somebody who imparted their gift into my life. And it changed everything. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm going to show you a chart here this morning that's going to help us a little bit better understand how these gifts work with our mind, our will, and our emotions, our soul realm. All right? So here we go. This is a us, made up of mind, will, and emotions. Right? Everybody falls, not going too fast for anybody? All right. So the teaching gift, right, the teacher, that operates primarily out of the mind area of the soul. That makes sense. Not too much of a stretch for us to understand that. All right? Now, the perceiver, perceiver gift, operates primarily out of the will of the soul, right? Out of that, that intuition, that, that area that needs to be uh, uh, exercising with authority and bringing the whole being into authority. And then finally, the compassion gift, well, that gift operates primarily out of the emotion area of the soul. I don't think we're stretching anybody on that, right? Okay. So now, what about the other ones? Well, the administrator, the administrator... That gift operates out of the mind and the will working together in the soul, all right? Now, the exhorter, that gift operates out of the mind and the emotions area of the soul, all right? And then the server, well, that gift operates out of the will and the emotions area of the soul. Now, everybody says, well, but aren't there seven? You only have six up there. That's good. The giver operates, I think, equally out of all mind, will, and emotions. It takes all of those functioning together to be able to give without expecting anything in return, without getting bitter, without, uh, you, know, um, you know, saying, why me, Lord, do I have to, you know, do this again? But when you get all those working in harmony, then you're able to give. Now, this is not necessarily something you go, well, I would like to dispute that. I'm trying to just demonstrate how the three elements of our being working together help produce the gifts and how they operate in our life. And I think that there's, there's something on this for us to understand. Now, if we can get this right the, and understand we have mind, will, and emotions and how they're influencing our seven different motivational gifts, it also helps us to know which aspect of our soul we are most in tune with, whether we're more of an emotional person, more of a strong will person, or whether we're more of a mind person, right? And how that affects the different gifts that we have seen operating in our life. Now, let me just conclude. I want to kind of wrap up with, uh, you know, something we did with the youth this week, and so the youth get a little preempt on this one. But um, I put this image uh, to the youth on uh, Wednesday night, and I asked them if they knew what that was a picture of. And none of the youth are allowed to speak right now that we're there. You have to be quiet. But do any of the adults know what that's a picture of? That's a photograph of Death Valley in the United States, all right? Now, Death Valley is the, the hottest, driest, least amount of rainfall of anywhere in, in North and South America, right? It is temperatures of 134, 135 degrees Fahrenheit. 
Uh, it is a brutal environment. And uh, uh, it's, it's located down in the southern part, inward, inland from California. Terribly hot place. Everybody say hot. Really hot place. Now, it, uh, it gets almost no rainfall. Almost no rainfall. But in the winter of 2005, all right, in the winter of 2005, seven inches of rain, a freaky phenomenon happened in Death Valley in 2005. Seven inches of rain. Everybody say seven inches. That's a lot of rain by any standards. But seven inches of rain fell that, that winter in Death Valley. And in the spring, this is a shot from pretty much the exact same place of Death Valley. In the spring, this is what happened in Death Valley. This place that is dead most of the time. About every 10 years, they get what they call a super bloom like this, where, where the, the rain comes and this is what it produces. And there's seeds below the surface of the ground that you never see. They're out of sight. They're, they're buried. They're dormant. But in the right conditions, when the right conditions come, life comes forth. And I think your spiritual gifts are just like that. They are seeds of potential in every one of you. And when you put your life in the right environment, when, you've got, when you have an understanding of yourself and how you're wired and you get put in the right environment, it's just like being in that seven inches of rain. And what happens is you begin to just blossom. You begin to bloom. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And if you were to look at Death Valley, uh, you know, the summer before that, you'd say nothing has ever grown here or ever will. It is nothing but a picture of death. But all it took was one winter of heavy rain, and boom, this is what came up in the spring. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? So the question is today, are you ready to bloom? What is there in your life that you have had, and, and it's written into who you are, and you've, it's, it's, just, it's part of your being, and you've had it sitting on the shelf way too long? What is there in your nature that God wants to bring forth and create an incredible garden of life? There's just so much. I look around and I just see so much potential. And God's saying, it's time for everybody. And you know, we're not, this, the church is not like a, a, a team sport, right? In the sense that there's a bunch of people sitting on the bench watching while the other people play. Or there's a whole mess of people sitting in the stands where a bunch of people play. But this is instead uh, like a revolution where everybody's involved. Where everybody is part of it. Only it's a revolution not of guns and of weapons, but it's a revolution of love. And when everybody gets involved in the revolution, when everybody is doing their part, we produce tremendous fruits of life wherever we go. The reason Christianity seized the world 2,000 years ago is because the disciples went forth and they had absolutely no other thing in their life that had captivated them except for their life and relationship with Jesus. And they just began to live that. And even though many of them faced martyrdom and many of them faced persecution, they continued and thousands and thousands of people came to Christ and before you knew it, it took only 300 years to where Christianity was finally the dominant faith in the entire known world at the time. And then it spread from there. And over the years, you know, what's happened is we, we end up watering it down with lots of stuff that it's not really about. 
But if we can get back to just, it's about letting people know, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They're weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Now, there's some pretty straightforward, simple theology for you this morning. And inside of every one of you is the potential to love your world in unique ways that God's made you, that they will hear that revelation that Jesus loves them, and they'll know it because the Bible tells them so. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together this morning. The youth will be doing the surveys on Wednesday. I don't know if we'll get to do them on Sunday here. Um, I'm going to see how long it takes when we do the survey on, on Wednesday. Uh, we may have to actually send them home with the adults and trust that you actually will do them. That's a scary thought to me too, but uh, they'll come back done. All the teachers will come back. Oh, I finished mine. Uh, you know, the perceivers will be like, well, I already know what my gift is, so I didn't need to fill out a survey. You know, I'll get all those kinds of responses from the adults, but uh, we'll figure out how long it takes on Wednesday night when we do the, the youth one with the, the youth, and we'll, we'll kind of gauge from there. But um, I really want everybody to participate in this process because I think it's going to help you not only know about yourself, but understand other people that you're working with in the body. Mark and I got together for coffee on Wednesday morning. Mark said, I want to ask you something about what you said last Sunday. And I said, okay, go ahead. And he said, well, could you help me understand how the spiritual gifts are going to help us get along in, in the body, right? And I, I said, well, it helps us get along because it's just like when we study the, the four love languages. How many ever read the book on the four or five love languages, right? It's five, is it? Five. five. Thank you. Thank you. A long time ago that I read it. But, you know, we all read that book and we say, well, I, want, I read that book because, you know, I want to know how to love somebody uh, and, and the way they're wired. And I said, yeah, that's important. But you know the most important reason why you need to know somebody's love language? is so you know when you are being loved. Right? If I know my wife's love language, it's not just so that I can love her in the way she can receive it. It's that I know when she's saying I love you to me. And I don't miss it. Because if I don't know her love language, I can miss it. She could be doing things for me all day long, trying to bless me and to encourage me. But if, but if that's not my love language, or, but it's hers, and I, don't, and I don't know it's hers, I miss the whole fact that she's saying I love you all day long. And then I look at her and I say, would it hurt you just one time to tell me that you love me? You know? And she says, I've been saying it all week. You know? Yeah, you just weren't listening. So we, we learn about spiritual gifts so we know when somebody is blessing us. We know when somebody is loving us. We know when somebody's serving us, encouraging us. Uh, you know, we, we know what they're about so we're able to receive from one another in the body of Christ. And when we know that about each other, it builds harmony, it builds unity in the body of Christ because we know when somebody else is engaging with us in the body. Am I making sense to anybody here this morning? That's why we got to know. All right. Praise the Lord. Where are you going to be at 2 o'clock? <laughs> Terry, Terry says, in my car behind you. Yeah. We got ourselves a driver here, you know. Uh, but at 2 o'clock, please meet back here. There's a handout here if you want to see what it is that we're actually going to do. I'll, I'll have these on the info booth at the back. This is the, uh, the handout. Uh, Jim, could you take those back to the back? 
That's the handout that we're going to be using. It's got different uh, scriptures on it and things you can pray for as you're walking. And again, remember, it's a low-pressure thing. This is a prayer walk. This isn't a knock on the doors and ask people if they know Jesus walk. It's a prayer walk. And so if, if someone comes up to you and asks what you're doing and you engage in conversation, that's great. But, you know, your main purpose is to pray. Just pray that God's presence would draw people and that God would speak to people. And then your second thing to do in the next two weeks is to start inviting people. Their posters and signs are up all over the city. People are going to know about it. You can ask them, hey, have you seen the sign there? Yeah, do you know what that's about? No. Well, listen, great music, great time, uh, great message of hope is going to be brought forth by Billy Graham's grandson. You remember Billy Graham? They'll go, yeah, I remember. His grandson is here in Belleville. Looks just like him, of course, when he was a lot younger. And, uh, and you're, just, you know, you're going to encourage them to come on out. Friday night is a kid's night like you will not believe. It is phenomenal. Mark and I have seen it in Charlottetown and me in St. John's. I mean, it's fantastic fantastic. The kids will absolutely love it. And, uh, and then Saturday night is kind of more, uh, you know, contemporary music and, and youth night, if you will, or, or young adult night, but everybody still comes. And then on Sunday is uh, a little more, uh, you know, not quite as contemporary, but, you know, still an awesome night. And then Will Graham, he speaks at all of them, does an amazing job. Uh, we had over 500 responses, I think 570 or something in, in St. John's. And uh, the largest was on the Friday night with the children. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. We don't want you to miss out on it, people. It is going to be good. Invite your friends, your neighbors, your enemies, people you like, you don't like. Invite them all because it's going to be good. All right? Two o'clock. Back here for prayer. Let's pray. Just take someone's hand beside you this morning. Just take somebody's hand. Father, I thank you today that you have united us together as a family. And that, Lord, you have stamped your heart into each and every one of us that we have been uh, wired, Lord, uh, and, and, and uh, Father, we have physical DNA, but we also have soul DNA. We have, we have, Father, ways in which we're wired right from the beginning, right out of the womb, uh, Lord, how we perceive life, how we give, how we work, how we operate, Father. God, there's so much of it that you have written into our hearts. And Father, we pray that as we go through this journey, uh, Lord, this fall, we begin to discover so much about ourselves. We also discover a lot about one another. And that, Father, we're able to use that information and that uh, understanding to help uh, serve one another and to, Father, serve our city and to help them to come to know Jesus, the Jesus who loves us each and every one. And, Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Hopefully see you back here at 2 o'clock. I'm going to go have some wings with Mark and his, his mom and dad coming into town. And then we're coming back here for 2 o'clock, so we'll be here. <laughs>